Well, we continue our series uh, from the book of Revelation, chapter 13. In your bulletin is an outline of our sermon talk. And if you've got a Bible handy, Revelation 13 is a good place to have it open. So last week in Revelation 12, we looked at the dragon. And the aim of the dragon was to attempt to stop Jesus at his birth. It then goes on to the persecution of his mother. And with his mother receiving supernatural assistance to, uh, to, uh, and, and, and being cared for by God. And God prepared for her to be safe. And since the dragon could not destroy uh, Jesus' mother, he then got enraged and went off and had a war with the church. And now we go to uh, Revelation chapter 13 and we have the battle of the two beasts. And uh, typically, uh, this uh, is a passage that people have an absolute field day. And apparently uh, one of Donald Trump's favourite um, preachers uh, is a guy who's proven that the first beast was actually Obama. So you can see why Trump likes this guy. So uh, the, 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 sadly, these passages are used for a number of people to jump off, to go off into in the most hairiest of places and the weirdest of places. So let's uh, see what it says. Now, the first beast is quite often described as the Antichrist. Now, anti means co, so someone who sets himself as being equal to God. And so... Uh, uh, the Antichrist doesn't have the most evil, vilest person in the sense of doing horrible things. The Antichrist could be the nicest, most pleasant person you want around to your place for tea. And if they married your daughter, you'd be happy. But the purpose of the Antichrist is to stop people following Jesus. And whatever technique he uses will happen. So uh, many would say that this first Antichrist, this first beast, was poss uh, possibly Caesar himself. And was personified in Caesar worship. And so why was Caesar worship seen to be so bad? So if we looked at Caesar worship, here are some things they would call Caesar. Master, Son of God, Saviour, Lord of the world, Morning Star. Caesar was to receive holiness, honour, power, glory and all worth. And where did those uh, words come from? I picked those words out because they're from the book of Revelation, but they were given as titles to Jesus and Jesus alone. But the Romans gave that titles and these titles to Caesar himself, that he was treated as being equal to God. And there is no kingdom without a king. There's no empire without an emperor. And we cannot speak of imperial power apart from the person who runs the empire. And so we have this strong link between the Roman Empire and Caesar. The same as we had a very strong link between Hitler and Nazi Germany. To speak of Hitler was to speak of Nazi Germany. To speak of Nazi Germany was to speak of Hitler. To speak of Caesar is to speak of the Roman Empire. To speak of the Roman Empire is to speak of Caesar. So the two are tightly uh, intertwined. So the big question is, who do people think the beast is? First of all, the beast is a political one. There's two beasts, a political beast and a religious beast. They're quite distinctive. So in terms of political beast, there are a number of people who would see that the first beast here was possibly Nero. If you take that uh, the book of Revelation was written about AD 68, just before the destruction of Jerusalem, you would say Nero, who was uh, behind it all, he'd, be, he'd died at that stage, he'd committed suicide, but uh, his voice... It was still um, uh, penetrating 
what was happening because the, uh, the Caesar who followed him maintained the, his rage against Jerusalem. So some would say it was Nero. Others would say Domitian, who's about 90 AD, who also uh, did a very destructive attack upon Christians. Now, the second way people view Revelation is to say that throughout history, there has been numerous people who are the beast. So you'd see uh, evil leaders like uh, Mao Zedong or Adolf Hitler as being epitomes of a personal beast-like character. Some people would say, yes, there is the beast, but he hasn't come yet. He is a future beast, and uh, he will be a person who will seek to rule the world. Now, the fourth way people look at the beast is to say, now the beast is purely symbolic. Each generation will have beasts that will rise up. And so what's it saying if we look at these four different views? The royals have one thing in common. There's a political force in our world that is at war with God. We cannot bring politics together in such a way that we can solve the world's problems. And sadly, there are people out there who actually feel that if we had just the right prime minister, we'd be a great company, a great country. But that will never happen. We'll always have problems in Australia. And one prime minister cannot solve everything. So how is the beast described there in verses 1 to 3? It says, I saw a beast rise out of the sea. So why does it come out of the sea? The imagery of the sea is that of the Gentiles. Because you have the, he comes out of the sea, the second beast out of the land, representing Israel. And so it's the Gentile world versus the Jewish world. He is described as having ten horns, seven heads, seven diadems or seven crowns on his horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And this imagery came, of course, from last week with the dragon, that same imagery of, uh, of power and authority and might. But why the blasphemous names? Because they indicate his character. It defines who he is. Now Daniel, in Daniel 11 verse 36, says, uh, they shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. And so there's a sense that this uh, beast is the exact opposite to Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 2, The beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave it power, and his throne, and great authority. Now we had two readings this morning. We had the, the reading from Revelation 13, our Old Testament reading came from Daniel 7. Why did I pick that passage? Because Daniel 7 describes these same beasts that is used here in Revelation. Now, from Daniel's standpoint, he's writing to Jewish people who were struggling under the fate of these Gentile empires controlling them as they look forward to the coming of the first Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And so it's the sense of uh, Daniel saying, our world is in chaos and calamity. There will always be forces against God. However, Jesus will come. Now, Revelation, however, was written after the fourth beast from the book of Daniel, the last of the empires. 
And it was a time when uh, Jerusalem appears to be crushed. It's a picture that the Gentile world power in Daniel's time was a combination in the book of Revelation of the four powers of Daniel. So what do we have uh, in this one in the book of Revelation? So well, in Daniel's time, there was the vastness of the Medo-Persian Empire. that was big. That was the dominating uh, culture of the Greek Macedonian Empire. It has the organisation might of the Roman uh, ability to unite under one state. And all this somehow will be combined in one world power. So here's the first beast. And what is the activity of this beast? There in verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marvelled as they followed the beast. Now, some people would look at this in the, uh, the time it was written and say, well, Nero uh, committed suicide. That's the mortal wound to the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire recovered after his disastrous reign. Uh, so people might say that. But there's a lot um, that fails at making that an accurate description. I remember a couple of years back that one of the um, popes, uh, someone tried to kill him. And people said, look, a mortal wound. And he recovered. Therefore, he must be the beast. And uh, there's been many times that anyone gets uh, you know, a slight attack against them. The next comment is, he must be the beast because someone tried to kill him. So we need to be very, very careful. Uh, I'd hate to be a world leader. Like, uh, imagine you know, Donald Trump, someone tries to shoot him and he survives. People say, that's it. He must be the beast. He survived. And so why uh, is this mortal wound and this uh, creature so dangerous? Because the mortal wound implies that uh, people are going to have wonder for him and say, look at that, he must be the right person for us. He survived that vicious attack. And what happens there in verse 4? And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? They were so captivated by its power. So how is he described? The beast was given a mouth uttering haunty and blasphemous words and was allowed to exercise his authority for 42 months. Three and a half years. A time, a time, a time and a half. This imagery has been used numerous times in the book of Revelation to say these things will happen but there is a set time that they will occur. If you think back to the 70s where the fear of communism was such that we thought the whole world would become communist. And now it has crumbled. Back to the 1940s and the thought was, could anybody stop Hitler? The fear we had here in Australia as the Japanese conquered country after country after country and thinking, what happens when they get to us? And we had the line halfway through Australia. We said, well, we'll create a battle line here. If they land on Australia, this is our fallback zone. And you can have this sense of uh, the, the trepidation that people went through in World War II. The horrors that people went through uh, at, when uh, communism was at its height. And the fear that people have today with the Muslim uh, uh, armies, the, the sense of, uh, will we get taken over by the Muslim nation? And there's a massive fear that people have. But who fears communism today? Like, 
you're pretty hard pressed to remember what countries even have communism. I know Zimbabwe has, and I don't know if Zimbabwe is going to become a world ruler. China still does. The people who live in China say there's more free enterprise in China than there is in Australia. And so it is changing. And so who is our fear? Verse 6, it opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Does that mean Christians will face persecution? Yes, sadly. Some of the uh, writers on this issue uh, believe that more Christians have died in the last hundred years than the rest of Christian history combined. So we do live in persecution. We do live in suffering. Every Sunday morning, we, there's a number of us meet before church, and one of the things we regularly do is we'll pray for uh, what's happening in, the, in the, the bigger world in terms of mission things. And week after week, there's a story about uh, people being killed by terrorists somewhere purely because they, they were Christians. And this will happen, according to the Scriptures, right to the moment that Jesus returns, that we will face suffering and we will face struggling. But it has an interesting promise there. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So what is this idea of the foundation of the world? Before history began, we've got to remember that God was sovereign in all situations and had done many things that were accomplished before the world was started. Here are some things the Bible described happening before the foundation of the world. God existed before the world did. Christ existed before the world did. Christ was loved by his Father throughout the whole of eternity. And believers were chosen by God for salvation before Adam and Eve sinned. God knows us before our parents knew they were pregnant. Our promise of eternal life before the foundation of the world. And the kingdom that God has prepared was prepared before the foundation of the world. So as we read of the beast and the horror of the beast, what's it saying for us as a Christian? Our contrast is our security in Christ and Christ alone. Our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Our hope, Christ and Christ alone. And then goes on to say a word of caution. There's, uh, after each beast, there is a, a, a comment made by John. Here in verse 9, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. In other words, you know, sit down, take note. If anyone is being taken captive to captivity goes. In other words, persecution will happen. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. In other words, when we go through hard times, do not let go of God. Because God does not let go of us. <coughs> So the first beast is very much a political beast, a powerful beast that is in the arena of, uh, of world politics. 
The second beast is quite a contrast because the second beast is seen as the first beast's minion. He represents to us the apostate nation of Israel. Those who should be faithful to God who have become faithless. How is he described? He arises from the land, as we saw the sea represented Gentiles, the land represents Israel. Secondly, in verse 11, he appears as a lamb, reminding us of two things, of Christ who is the true lamb, but also of the temple worship that was dominated by lamb sacrifice. He speaks as the dragon, in other words, he will speak satanic evil thoughts and take that which is good and make it bad. But he's also described as the false prophet. And we're reminded throughout the Old Testament, prophet after prophet after prophet spoke the word of God regularly at the cost of their own life. And however, in the end times, we have a prophet who is a false prophet. He will tickle people's ears. I'm surprised uh, the amount of times I'll get messages about where people basically say, God wants you rich. God wants you wealthy, God wants you happy, God wants you to be fluffy toy. Now there's a sense of unrealistic expectations. And you say, Jesus who had no home wants me to have a mansion. Jesus who walked everywhere thinks I should drive a Rolls Royce. Jesus who went to the cross just wants me to be happy. Why would they do this? So there we have verse 11, a description of the beast. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, as in from, uh, it had two horns like the lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. And then in verse 12, the activity of the beast, the 12 to 17. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. How does it do this? Verse 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And so there's a sense of a, a false religion, of an apostate faith, and people will run to it and will be attracted to false teaching. The book of Zechariah, verse 11, describes such a false teaching in his era. It says, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, who will not seek the scattered, will not heal the broken or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. So you and I as Christians will faith times where we will hit false teaching. Now it's easy to say, oh, look at those Mormons or look at those Jehovah's Witnesses, look at those cult groups out there, aren't they bad? The biggest fear for us is when the cult groups and the false teaching is in our own churches, in our own pulpits. It goes on in verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. So the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So this false religion, 
will create false followers who are willing to kill in its name. The beast being empowered by Satan shares the same aspirations as his master. So then in verse 16, also it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, free and slave to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now if you were Jewish, you would often write the scriptures and have them on your hand. If you were Jewish, you'd often write the scriptures and have a little box with them on your head. So we as Christians are described that we have been sealed by God. Here we have the marking of the false beast as a contrast. Are you following the scriptures or are you following the world and its ways? Now in the time of Jesus, the coins of the Roman Empire expressed the idea of Caesar was God. So when Caesar was asked, should I pay taxes to Caesar? He says, give me a coin. He holds the coin up and says, whose head is this? And everybody said, Caesar's. But upon the coins, they'd often say, Caesar is God, or Caesar is Lord, or Caesar is Saviour. So the very money that you used, in some sense, was dirty money. So the idea of the coins expressed the idea that Caesar was God. Now we've got the contrast. We have Caesar versus being marked as Christians and sealed as Christians. Now the beast is given permission to overcome the saints, that we will face persecution. So if you lived in Indonesia, which is a lovely country, over a thousand churches have been burnt to the ground in uh, Indonesia uh, in the last uh, 20 or 30 years. If you go to other countries, like we went to um, Afghanistan, back in 1973, the last church was bulldozed. Christian believers in Afghanistan do not meet in churches. They meet in houses and uh, they meet uh, with the doors shut in fear of being arrested. They will live in persecuted times. So how can it be that God would grant permission for the beast to overcome the saints? It's here we need to grasp God's sovereignty and his glory over living in a broken world. Now if we go back to Exodus, we can see that God used Pharaoh in the days of Exodus, the same as that God can use the beast in whatever era that he lives in. Because ultimately it's God's glory, not the beast, that we find. And then we're given a note of wisdom. And uh, this is a passage that people have a field day with. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let no one uh, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Or is it the number of a man? And his number is 666. Now 666 is repeated three times. To repeat something three times is to give it emphasis. Six is the number of incompleteness. So 666 is the complete incomplete number or the complete evil number. And uh, it's interesting, if you uh, were Jewish, you often make letters of the alphabet represent numbers, so that's how you do your maths. And if you added up the numbers of Nero, now Nero had two different spellings for his name. One spelling adds up to 666. 
the other spelling adds up to 616. You say, why is that interesting? Because our early manuscripts of the book of Revelation sometimes says 666, sometimes says 616. So a lot of people then say, therefore, it must be nearer that it's been referred to. But I think it's far deeper than that. Because it's looking at the whole issue of Nero as a conquering uh, ruler, the same as Pharaoh was a conquering ruler in Egypt. And this is what it says about Pharaoh in Egypt there in Exodus 9. Indeed, for this purpose I've raised you up as in Pharaoh, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. And yet you exalt yourself against my people, in that you will not let them go. All, uh, to all intensive purposes, Pharaoh controlled Egypt. Pharaoh controlled the Jews, and he should have just wiped them out. But God did not let that happen. So the saints at the end of time will face persecution. In Daniel 7, it says that we will be killed by the little horn. In Revelation 17, that we'll be taken out by what's called the harlot. In Revelation 13, the beast. And also in Revelation 13, the image of the beast. That saints are going to be martyred during this peace, uh, period because they're not willing to worship the beast and his image. It's interesting. We can look at China and see the massive, massive expansion of Christian faith. In 1949, when the missionaries left China, there's a sense of devastation and thinking, how will the church survive without the missionaries there to support them? And there are about a million Christians at that time. Now, today it's hard to guess how many Christians there are because it's still quite secretive. But some people think it could be as many as 330 million. And very soon, China will become the largest Christian country in the world by believers. And yet, 1949... They thought they'd wipe Christianity out. So that that was going to be wiped out has now become the largest, most powerful force. We can look at North and South Korea. A bit over 120 years ago, there's next to no Christians at all in Korea, either North or South. South Korea, about one in three people are committed Christians. North Korea, uh, Korea is now opening the door to allow the Christian faith to come in. I wonder what will happen about the 30,000 Christians who are in concentration camps there. Why are they there? Because they were faithful. They were there for endurance. So we have here the 666. It speaks of noble global domination. It speaks of being Nazis, it speaks of communism, it speaks of what some Muslims are doing, but it also speaks of things like the United Nations, where people have tried to set up organisations based on mankind to solve the problems. So who is 666? This is a great quote I came across. 666 is a lock that almost any key will turn. So people can find anybody to be the Antichrist or the 666. But what is 666 all about? It's about man's incompleteness, man trusting his own human will. The number almost emphasises how the beast will be the epitome of human achievement and the government at the end will fall short. 
So what does that mean? Our confidence as Christians is in Christ, not the world. Whenever people think that a uh, prime minister or a president will solve all the problems of their country, it's never going to happen. We will always have the poor. We will always have suffering. We will always have people who are in sickness. We will always face struggles. This is just the reality of our world. We live in a sinful, broken world. And only Christ can bring about its salvation. This passage emphasises us as believers that no matter how bad or how good things are, Christ is Lord. The Lord of our hearts, the Lord of this universe. Let's just finish in prayer. Father, as we just look at the struggles that we know that our world faces, may we always remember that you are sovereign and that in the worst situations in the world, you can transform them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, God, there are times that we face hardships and some of our hardships may seem insurmountable, but you are Lord in all. Father, graciously rule in our lives Graciously use us for your kingdom. Help us to be faithful until you return and always be called your faithful servants.